Hey, let's take this opportunity to welcome the Carpinteria campus as well as the Ventura campus. What a blessing it is to have the Word of God preserved for us as we read it. As Simon just wonderfully encouraged us, it, it, as, as we string together as a body of believers, reading God's Word, the Spirit of God moving in us, there, there is a change. He's doing a work. And uh, Chris Lazo last week uh, did a wonderful job on Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where it says, he, where God, we are God's masterpiece. He's created a, a new. And, and when, when we take on what, what Chris was saying, when we believe that the grace of God has the power to move in our lives and, 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 and really uh, believe that that, that that grace of God, that as, he, as Chris took us way back into the book of Genesis, believing that we were created in the image of God. I, I love how he did that. He took us all the way back to the book of Genesis. To the creation. We are his poema, his masterpiece, his creation. And God is doing a work, and he is faithful to complete the work that he's begun in us. Amen? Yeah. Oh, we say hallelujah because we look in the mirror and we're like, okay, man, God, I'm still struggling with this, I'm still dealing with that. But yet, when we allow the word of God and the grace of God to affect our lives, there is great change. And as the text continues, he says, we were created anew in Christ Jesus so that we would do good things he has planned for us long ago. And so as we looked back in the book of Genesis, we read the account that, man, when God had created Adam and Eve, he had done so in, in, in beauty and majesty. And there was this great relationship. And as you read the account, you can't help but get caught up in the story of God as he is walking with them in the cool of the breeze in this wonderful place called, called the Garden of Eden. But then the story takes a little turn. We read about that Adam and Eve would take a great fall in disobedience to God. And we read that in that fall, that sin enters into the world. And because God is a holy God, no longer is he able to exchange in this relationship because he is perfect and holy and just. So just when the story looked like the enemy had the upper hand, there was a redemptive story that would continue throughout the Bible. And that redemptive story ultimately led 
and pointed to one man, the second Adam, Christ Jesus, who would restore this relationship that was intended for humanity with a holy God. And through that redemptive story, ultimately ends with a great restoration. And you and I, here, brothers and sisters in Christ, because of what Christ Jesus has done for us. It's amazing. It's humbling. As we look at that text and, and, and to know that the God of the universe that created all things, as we look out at the ocean, we look over here to the mountains, the one who created all these things, he's created us in his image. And that image was marred by the failure or the disobedience of man. But because God had a heart to be reconciled and to have this relationship restored, the redemptive story we get caught up in. And we pick up right here in verse 11 of Ephesians 2, where Paul says, Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel and you did not know the covenant promise God had made to them. You lived in this world without God, without hope. But now, you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people. In his own body of the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. Together, as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other was put to death. He brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. Jesus, we would ask as this scripture preserved for us this day that you would speak to the heart, mind, and soul of your sons and daughters. We need you. 
Father, we're so humbled at knowing that all that you have done for us, as we read throughout the book of Ephesians, all that you have done, you've redeemed us, you brought us near, you've adopted us, you've accepted us into the beloved. And Father, now we want to respond by laying our lives humbly before you, submitting to your word that you who begun a good work in us would be faithful to complete it. Come do that. By the power of your spirit, we yield to you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, I, I want to start by apologizing for my voice. I was at a concert last night, and I got a little crazy. Uh, I was with uh, Pastor Tim Chaddock and Britt uh, Merrick and Al Abdullah. We were seeing Roger Waters performing The Wall at the Coliseum. It was unbelievable. And, and it, it, it was sensory overload. It was unbelievable. And so I'm all caught up screaming and yelling because I'm a musician and I love music. And the, and the clarity of the music was really, it was so awesome. But Britt kept hitting me. He's like, hey, stop yelling. You're going to lose your voice. And I would look at him like, okay, and I'm just watching. And then next thing you know, just screaming and yelling. He'd hit me again. Stop yelling. You're going to lose your voice. And then I would look at him. And then the third time, finally, he said, forget it. It's only one service. Ah! So we're just screaming and yelling. The irony was, is uh, for those of you, I mean, for those of you who don't know anything about Pink Floyd or The Wall, be ignorant and don't know anything about it. But for those of you who do, you know it's about a wall. A wall in Berlin, ultimately, uh, as um, it, was, it was torn down, this message was in my head. Because there is a wall of hostility that has been broken through the blood of Christ. The scripture that we've read, it mentions a wall. And, and, and as, we, as we, even looking at the, the, the artwork, and as I was trying to explain to the artists, like, okay, I'm envisioning this wall that is being broken, and he's all, oh, like the wall. I was like, yeah, like the wall, but somehow that, that didn't make it. I mean, it's good, it's good, it's good, but I was anticipating something else. But, sorry, Brian. But as you guys know, and as um, Ronald Reagan told Gorbachev, you know, tear down that wall, that, that in that there was great freedom. But, but ultimately, what we read in this text, there's a greater freedom talked about. And, and I really believe that the Lord would have us at this time, as a body of believers, to really draw near and to hear what the Spirit has to say through this text. Because as we talked about the, the full story of creation, the fall and redemption and restoration, this text right here kind of addresses part of the redemptive plan of God who chose out a people for himself, the nation of Israel. And he revealed himself 
to them through the law and through his presence. As we're going through uh, the year Bible, we, we read that, and it's, it's unbelievable how God met them and spoke to them. They were his people. And he wanted them to be a light to the nations, to draw people to him for forgiveness, love, and mercy. However, rather than being the light to the world, God's people became very self-focused and exclusive of others. They erected walls that kept others out. Others who needed to hear the redemptive story of God. They basically said, we are God's chosen. We are God's people. We are superior because we have God's law. Because we have the covenant of circumcision. They kept everyone out. This was never the intent of God. It was never the intent of God's law. We know that because Paul, in the letter to the Romans, says that the the law could not justify us before God. Rather, it was intended that the law would point us to Christ. It would point us to our need of Christ or need of a Messiah. I like what he says in Galatians 3.24. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. So, so there, there was a part of the redemptive story that, that, the, that the Jews had. And yet they missed the purpose of the law. And it had become more about rules than the ruler. The one who died, he, he, he desired to govern them, to rule them. And somehow they would always get caught up in the rules rather than the ruler. Verse 11 says, they became proud of their circumcision, even though it affected their bodies and not their hearts. It's a, it's a classic mistake of religiosity becoming more aware or more focused on the outer rather than the in the inner where God truly is creating in us a work right I mean let's just all be honest physically day by day you're dying I just celebrated Wednesday, my 42nd birthday, (laughs) seeing it's affecting me. I mean, day by day, things are dying. You look in the mirror and you're like, oh, right? Who in here is getting better? There's maybe a few of you. You know who you are. We hate you. (laughs) Looking better with age. And, it, and it, the funny thing is, is it's easy for us to, to get caught up and say, yeah, the Jews, they were caught up in the outer and not in the inner man. And yet, isn't it so often that that's still the case today? <laughs> it's still the case today. And because it didn't affect their hearts, the Jews had no love for anyone who was not a Jew. 
they grouped everyone who was non-Jew in the category of Gentiles. They called them uncircumcised heathens. Uncircumcised heathens. Instead of becoming a blessing to the nations, which was the Abrahamic covenant, walls of hostility were formed. Major hostility. A study of history in the ancient world tells us that none of today's social distractions or uh, none of our racial barriers or narrow nationalism, no Iron Curtain, no Berlin Wall could stand against the Jews um, and the Gentiles' um, animosity towards each other. The Jews believed that Gentiles were created for the fuel of the fires of hell. They hated Gentiles, and obviously there was a mutual hatred towards each other. I mean, if you were a Jew and just visiting or eating or associating with a Gentile, it was a major offense. Matter of fact, we read in Acts chapter 11, verse 2, Peter going to Jerusalem And there he ministered to some uncircumcised and he caught a lot of heat for it. The council was in his face saying, what are you doing ministering to those uncircumcised heathen scum? Friends, to bring context back to where we are in the book of Ephesians, The, the church in Ephesus was predominantly Gentiles. And they had been hated by the Jews. And as Paul's referencing here, they, there was no covenant that they had with God. There was no hope that they had. This is how Paul describes it in verse 12. In those days you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises that God had made with them. You lived this world without God and without hope. That's, that's a major bummer, right? Major bleak bummer. It's the same today. Anyone apart from Christ, this is the case. Paul is simply describing that situation, saying you were denied access to this beautiful revelation of who God was. And that was never God's intent. It was never God's intent. You see, that's why the redemptive story continues to restoration. The restoration of a love affair that God has with his creation, wanting to bring all in, wanting to bring all in. And the next verse, Paul lays out a powerful statement. Verse 13, he says, but now you have been united with Christ Jesus. 
Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Amen? You were apart, you were afar, you were separated, but now you have been brought near. God is bringing close to those who have been uh, excluded. He's bringing them close. He's breaking down barriers. The barriers that separated people from him and to each other. This redemptive work, this work of the cross, all that was done in the bloodshed of what Christ had done abolished animosity and enmity both between man and God and man with each other. And this work was done, as we read in verse 14, by the blood of Christ. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united the Jews and the Gentiles into one people when he was with his own body on the cross. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of the law with its commandments and its regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. One new people. That's why often when I get up here, I... I really make a point to remind us that we are brothers and sisters. Brothers and sisters having been united by the work of what Christ has done on the cross. There's great diversity in here, young and old, black, brown, and white. We have a great diversity in here, yet because of the blood of Christ, he has made us one. Through this text, we read that what the cross has done, it has broken down this wall of hostility, this hatred towards Jews and Gentiles. And by the way, if you don't know what camp you're in, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. but it doesn't actually matter anymore because of the work of the cross, because of what Christ Jesus has done. He abolished that hostility. And now we can just enjoy the flavor of what God has done in creating different ethnicities, but we don't have to allow hostility come between us because we've been made one, brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a beautiful paragraph here. Verse 14 and 15. I would invite you to go home and and really let it minister to the core of who you are. Because it does a great thing in allowing the beauty of his majesty, the beauty of his creation. It reminds us of being reconciled through the cross both what he has done to make two become one. As I perform many weddings, it's one of the beautiful things that I do and I get to be invited to do. And sometimes I almost feel guilty doing it because I'm watching these two lovely people get married, the two becoming one, and then there's me. 
I'm like, I want to hide behind the Bible and just like, and just peek and see this beautiful work only God can do. God, the creator, can take two to become one. Right? I mean, usually one plus one is what? Two, thank you. I was like, wait, is everyone really in this place of not knowing? Okay, so for you and I, one plus one, we always get two. But with God, the creator, one plus one, he can make one. He could take Jews and Gentiles and make them one under the blood. Like what it says in Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. All believers, we're on the same playing field. No animosity between us. Just the love and peace of God. See, the work of the cross as we read this story, it is abolished division and it's established peace. Did you get that in this verse? He established peace. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. Verse 17, he brought this good news of peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to you Jews who were near. Now all on the same playing field, brothers and sisters in the Lord, a body of believers, no longer Jew or Gentile, but merely believers, sons and daughters. And so this peace that he has brought to us, brothers and sisters, as uh, Chris Lazo wonderfully did last week, this peace, this shalom of God that we're called to step into. It's been established. This peace has been established and you and I are called to walk in it. We're called to walk in it. We're called to walk in this peace at work, in our gathering, in our scattering, in our homes. But if we're real with each other, if we're transparent, if we're true brothers and sisters, we can call it like it is, right? I don't know about your family, my family, we, we, we call it like it is. I would be a fool to end this message with, hey, we're all brothers and sisters in the Lord and the peace of God has been established. Hooray, hurrah. I can't end there. You know why? Because the body of believers, blood-bought body of believers has animosity and walls that are erected for various reasons. Bitterness toward each other, grudges, unforgiveness. See, the difficult question comes, this peace that has been established by God, is it reigning and ruling in your life? 
Are you at peace with all men? It's hard. Listen, this message, these last two weeks, have been really doing a number on me. Bringing to remembrance, like, okay, that difficult situation has been resolved. Because something that we don't do so easy is we ignore any, any difficulties. You see, friends, the sad truth is, is that most of us cannot say because within a body of believers, and I happen to know because I am one of them seeking to allow peace to be established, pursuing peace. I know that there's times, even in my family, where peace is not ruling and reigning. And I need to step in that peace and allow that peace that's been established and pursue it. It's, it's an active work. Just like a marriage. There's a labor of love. There's marriages in this room that are not walking in the peace of God. And it ought not be so. Because of grudges because of bitterness and unforgiveness. <laughs> Matter of fact, you know, to, for, to be transparent with you, there, there, there's been many times. It's, it's usually men who come up and say, at prayer time, gee, I, I gotta ask for forgiveness. What? What'd I do? Two years ago, you said this to me, and I held it against you for two years. I'm like, oh, man, wow, bro, I'm sorry. And usually it's like, well, it's, it's, it was the truth that I needed to hear it. And so I'm like, okay, we'll see, you know. <laughs> so obviously that speaks to me, like, I got to be careful how I present things. I need to do all things in love. But the thing that boggles me is like, wow, two years of bitterness. That's not healthy. Listen, I want to stand before you right now. If there's something that you have against me, let's talk and let's work it out. Let's pursue peace together. Because generally what Christians do is they ignore and then the root of bitterness sets in. Friends, we gotta be careful. We gotta be careful of that. You know, I, I, you know there's some of you brothers and sisters, uh, uh, specifically um, in Ventura, you know? Like, we, we resolve stuff, Ventura. Am I, am, we, am I good in Ventura? <laughs> Uh, just the last time I was in CARP, there was a guy that came up and said, hey, so uh, yeah, I was bitter with you. And, and friends, this is how it should be done, but time should not pass of two and three years. We have to be pursuing peace with each other. We can't, resolve, we can't say that, hey, we should all just get along and everything should be perfect and peachy and just roses and everything be just fine. No, because that's not reality. 
right? We just need to learn to pursue the peace with each other. Because when bitterness and unforgiveness or anger uh, creep in, friends, it affects and it chokes out our fruitfulness as image bearers of Christ. Our effectiveness for the kingdom of God is stunted when we allow bitterness, unforgiveness, and anger. Because at the cross, Jesus abolished this stuff. He made us one. He established peace. And we're to walk in it. We're to pursue it. John 14, 27, Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. That peace that has been given to us is to be distributed at the workplace, at the gathering, the scattering, and in our home. And if we just stopped right there and made application, where do I need to pursue peace? What have I left undone that I need to do? See, because, friends, so often it's, it seems like the easier thing to do is to ignore. Like in a marriage. Well, I, I, I don't want... I don't want the flare up, so I'm just going to ignore. But what you're doing is, is you're allowing bitterness to set in, a calloused heart. It actually takes more effort and work to ignore than to spend a five, ten minutes, maybe a meal to establish peace. Friends, as a body of believers, believing what the scriptures have to say to us today, we have to believe that God has called us to establish peace, walk in it. We cannot be divided. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 25, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. Any city or house divided against itself shall not stand. United we stand. Divided we fall. Some of you are probably tripping on me like, dang, what's this fool? I mean, is this really happening around us? Listen, just take those three areas. In the gathering, is there any animosity? Is there anything going on? I mean, I mean, is there a moment when you're at Vaughn's and you see so-and-so and you're like, oh, and you, you roll the other way. <laughs> or you're here at church and you're, you see so-and-so heading to the bathroom, you're like, oh, no, I'll wait. In your marriage, have you found that there's areas where you're not walking in the peace of God? See, 1 Corinthians 1, uh, Paul appeals to us. He says, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no division in the church. Rather, be of one mind, united in thought and in purpose. For some members of Chloe's household have told me about your quarrels. There was a snitch. 
but it needed to be done. Later in 1 Corinthians 5, Paul again talking about how we are created in Christ, called to be ambassadors, properly representing the kingdom of God. And we've been called to this great ministry of reconciliation because that is the heart of God. Because of what took place in the garden, the fall separated. The redemptive story points to reconciliation. That is why it's important that you and I be reconciled with each other, living in harmony, living in love, exercising the one another's, loving one another, caring for one another. Hebrews 12, 14 says, we're to pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and causes trouble. And and by it, many are defiled. If we're called to be ambassadors, if we're called to properly represent Christ Jesus in our communities, if we are the image bearers of Christ, then we have to take on this ministry of reconciliation. We have to pursue peace with all men. And friends, this is not a downer. This is something that is right and real. Because maybe not in this room are you at enmity with somebody, but maybe as a family member. Maybe as a parent, you've had a lot of difficulties with your children, your teenager, your two-year-old. Friends, listen, this text is applicable. Just yesterday morning, I had breakfast with a brother in Christ, an accountability breakfast. And we're just being raw with each other. And it's like, he's in a similar place. He works in the secular world and he's dealing, managing with people and he's got twins and a son and he's got a wife. And it's just, man, there's, there's just an overwhelming sense of, man, I don't know if I'm doing right in all these areas. And so wonderfully, collectively, we got together and said, man, Here's what we need to do. We need to make sure that in our home, we're pursuing peace. What does that look like? Am I pursuing peace with my wife? Or am I letting that one thing uh, take root in in bitterness and, and, and animosity? Or am I dealing with that? How can I pursue? What What application is there for me? What can I do to pursue peace in my parenting? How can I pursue peace in a greater degree in the workplace? Why have I let that go? Why have I not dealt with that? Why am I ignoring this? Why am I dodging that? And if we take those things and we pursue peace and we pursue reconciliation, then ultimately we properly represent Christ who is the great redeemer, the great reconciler. 
Amen? Amen. That is why we need to take this message to heart and make application. Matter of fact, the Bible would indicate, don't come take communion unless you are right with all. There's something that you have between your brother, your mama, your dad, or your daughter, your roommate. Pursue peace. Establish it. Pursue it. Because as we come to a close, friends, here's what's encouraging to us. Verse 18 says, Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because of what Christ has done for us. We have the power of the Spirit of God to help us. The Spirit has come to help. He's a great helper. He's a teacher of all things. He's a comforter. And he wants to help us to establish peace in all areas of our life. That we would better properly represent Christ. That we would allow peace. Don't we want people who are visiting this gathering to experience the peace and the love of God? Do we want that? Then say amen. Amen. We want that. And so Jesus, we would ask that you would come and allow that. That you would expose areas in our lives where we have unfinished work. You would expose bitterness. That you would expose unforgiveness. Lord, where we're not pursuing peace. We pray that you would bring to remembrance people who we are not right with. We want your love to be thick here. And Lord, we would ask the same for our homes and our workplace. We pray that you would help bring application as brothers and sisters seeking you as our Father. We would ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and bring great application. Because we need you. We're confident in the work that you have begun. Help us to properly respond, to walk in this established peace. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, listen, friends. As we allow the Spirit of the Lord to come and bring to remembrance areas where peace is not established, if, there's, if you know there's someone here, then, then make way. Do that work now. Don't delay. Don't let time lapse because calloused hearts are formed like the Jews, but not them alone. It happens so often. If your marriage, you know your marriage is in need of help. There's nothing greater for your spouse to hear than you to turn to them and say, let's, uh, let's pursue peace together. Do business right now. If you're here with a spouse who you know things are not the way God has intended, make application. Don't delay. 
I would go as far as to say, if you need to walk out that door and make a phone call to make things right before you come take communion, then do so, brother. Do so, sister. Let's allow the Spirit of God to move us into a place of a greater degree of the peace of God to be established in our lives so that ultimately we reflect the true love of God to this community. Amen? Let's make way. Let's do that together.